Now, I want to talk to you about something. Uh, I was thinking about this. Oftentimes, in, in a lot of different contexts, um, you have what's referred to as internal lingo. And what that means is it's verbiage, phrases, words that make sense within the context of that environment. For example, we got a number of people here who work or have worked at Chick-fil-A. And one of the internal lingos and phrases at Chick-fil-A is, my pleasure. You go to Chick-fil-A and they don't say my pleasure, you'd be like, oh, you must be new. You must be a trainee because uh, it is your pleasure to serve me, right? That's a, they say it so much that I've heard them, and outside of Chick-fil-A context, they'd hand me a water, like, hey, th- thanks for that water, my pleasure. I'm like, man, that just sticks with you, doesn't it? It's that internal lingo, right? And no matter what you do, if you play sports, you might have an internal lingo. You know, you might talk about certain plays and, you know, you play basketball, you talk about doubles and, and you know, hacks and different language that pertains to basketball or that might pertain to a hobby that you have. And a lot of times when you're into something, there's internal dialogue. Now, the reason we call it internal dialogue is someone who's not in that environment or not used to that environment, they hear that language and they're like, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking Right? Uh, some of you who might be sneakerheads, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I got the Jordan 13s and the Jordan then. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I, I like the ones that are black with the white thing from Space Jam. Those are my favorite. Right? I can't talk the internal lingo because I'm just, I guess I'm not that cool. I'm not in that community. And I say all that because if you're newer to church or maybe you didn't grow up in church, and for many of you who did grow up in church, There's internal lingo that's used in church, and it's used so often that we don't even think about the fact that maybe we don't know what that really means. We just kind of say it when we know we're supposed to say it. And so I've been thinking about that, and one of those phrases, one of those thoughts that I'd love to share and really unpack is something that we've used all your life. You've heard it all your life, particularly during mealtimes. And it's always at the end of a prayer. Every prayer that you've heard always ends with what phrase? In Jesus' name. Right? Every prayer, you're like, da-da-da-da-da, and thank you for this, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. That's how you close out the prayer. But have you ever actually wondered why? Why do we say in Jesus' name? So often we get kind of caught up in customs that we don't always understand the genesis of the custom or the purpose behind that custom. And so I want to give you some backstory on that to really fully understand why you do that, why that's important, and why you really should understand what you're saying when you say in Jesus' name. In order to do that, I got to give you a little bit of a backstory, a little bit of history. If you read in the Old Testament, ever since sin enters into the world through Adam and Eve, the Bible says that man and God are separated. Right? Man and God cannot be together because God is pure and he's holy and he cannot be where sin is. And so God and man have now been separated because of sin. And all throughout the Old Testament, you know, God, he keeps his presence in a certain way. And if you follow the story of the Israelites, which is mostly what the Old Testament is, you'll see that they had this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. If you ever saw like Indiana Jones you know, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of God resided. And it was a serious thing. Like you couldn't even touch it, okay, if you weren't holy, if you weren't pure because of sin. As a matter of fact, there's a story about how they were bringing it back into their village one time. And it was about to kind of tip over. And one of the dudes to stop it from falling touched it, you know, to try to keep it up and instantly died because he touched it. You just couldn't do it. And so they would keep this Ark of the Covenant in this tent that they would call the Holy of Holies. 
right? So it was like a tent within a tent. And that's where the presence of God was. And so in order to visit the Holy of Holies, a priest could only go in there once a year. He had to be ceremonially clean. He had to go a whole week of rituals to make sure that he was pure and that he was righteous so that he wouldn't drop dead right in the presence of the ark. He would go into the Holy of Holies. And this was such a serious thing that they actually would tie a rope around his ankle because if he wasn't legit and he wasn't right and he wasn't holy, the second he would get into the Holy of Holies, he'd drop dead. And because nobody else can go in there and get him, they tied a rope around his ankle to drag his dead body out just in case he was faking it. Okay, that's how legit and serious this is, right? And this is for thousands of years up until Jesus Christ. Now that Holy of Holies, the barrier between where the ark was and the entrance, there was this veil, this giant curtain. And the Bible says that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that the veil was torn. That literal temple where the Holy of Holies was, where the Ark of the Covenant was, there was this barrier that symbolized and was a literal barrier between the presence of God and humanity. And the second that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sin and atoned for our sin, he made it so that God and man could be back together. And for that reason, literally the veil got torn from top to bottom. It was a symbolic and a literal gesture to say there's no more barrier between man and God. Now we can go directly to God. We don't got to go to one priest who can go in once a year and atone for everybody's sin. As individuals now, through Jesus Christ, we can enter into the presence of God. And so we just talked about his glory, right? Well, why doesn't his glory kill us now? Because we can get into the presence of God through Jesus. How is it that we're able to pray? Because we can get into and request something from God because of Jesus. And so this is very important for you to understand because this is the whole reason why you can cry out to God and he actually listens to you. Because the reality is nobody, starting with me, is worthy enough for God to listen to. You ain't nobody. I ain't nobody. We're nobody special. We're, we're God, the master of the universe, the one who spoke it all into existence, is willing to stop and go, so tell me what's going on. This is a big, big deal. And it's important to understand this in order to understand how we use in Jesus' name. And so if you have the Bible, I want you to look at something in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22. Here he's breaking kind of what I just talked about. He's breaking it down. And listen to what the Bible says. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let me break that down again. Let me go back a little bit just to give you again. All right. We have confidence now to go into the most holy place. Remember we talked about the holy of holies. How come we can go there now? Because of the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that the penalty for sin is death. And so every time in the Israelites, every time they wanted to go into that presence, they had to make a sacrifice, they had to sprinkle blood, but it just wasn't enough because that sacrifice is never enough. Jesus Christ being 100% man, 100% God, pure and never sin. He was able to cover the multitude of sins, not just for the people then, but for anyone who believes after that, which includes you and me. 
And so he's saying, listen, we can go confident now because we're covered by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. So think about this. The veil was torn when Jesus' body was torn. They tore his body on the cross and that tearing opened up the way for you and I to now have a relationship. So instead of going through the curtain into the Holy of Holies like they had to do for thousands of years, we go through the body of Jesus into the most holy place to talk to God. That's our access point. It's through Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross. And so he's saying, because we have that, since we have a great priest, meaning Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Again, context. He's talking about generations of people who were terrified to go to the presence of God. And he's saying, you don't have to be scared anymore. Because the veil was torn, because my Lord's body was torn We can go through that sacrifice, and now we can have confidence when we go before God and talk to him. We have a priest who interceded for us. Before you had a priest who had to tie a rope around his leg because we weren't sure if he was going to be legit or not. This time, we have a priest in Jesus Christ who's fully legit, and we can confidently follow him into the Holy of Holies because of who Jesus is. And then he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance, that means confidence again, that faith brings. Faith in what? The faith we have in who Jesus is. Having our hearts sprinkled and cleansed from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, you have been justified. You have been granted entrance into the most holy place, into the very presence of God, not because you're good enough, not because you're smart enough, not because you grew up in church or you know the Bible or you read the Bible or your grandma, your grandpa were pastors, not because of any of that, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You have access to the most amazing thing in the entire universe, God. That's powerful when you begin to understand what that means. And so why do we say in Jesus' name? Well, there's a few reasons that I'd love for you to write down because it's important to remember. Number one, we say in Jesus' name because your name is not enough. Your name is not enough. I thought about this. Um, we were doing vaccines a few weeks ago with the city, right? And uh, we were doing vaccines. We were vaccinating like 500 people. And we had a few vaccines left out of those 500. And so uh, the girl that I was working with who worked with the city, the young lady, her name was Jessica. And we know each other. And so we were working on our list. And we were like, hey, just call some people. Let them know to come down. We want to make sure that we get all these vaccines taken care of. We're like, all right, bet. And this was before it opened up to everybody. So this was limited to like Belmont Cragen neighborhood. Well, sure enough, Jessica and I start making calls. Some other people start making calls. And all of a sudden, rando people started showing up at the church. People we did not call. Literally, people were putting it up on Facebook, on Reddit pages. Yo, just show up at this place. You can get the shot. People were traveling from the suburbs. They were like, yo, we're not trying to vaccinate no suburb people. Go back to your suburb and get vaccinated. This is for us, right? All this is crazy. And the funniest thing, these four or five dudes who I know were not from our neighborhood, right? They were like way deep in Wicker Park style looking. And they show up. I'm like, yo, you're not from here, bro. And he goes up. He's like, hey, um, yeah, we, uh, we're on Jackie's list. And I'm like, who is Jackie? <laughs> and then I realized, oh, they meant Jessica. They just don't know Jessica, right? They played the telephone game, and somehow Jessica became Jackie. Immediately I knew. And the funny part is they were saying it to me and to Jessica. So I'm looking at her like, you're going to tell them that you're not Jackie? And from that on, by the way, for the next few weeks, her name became Jackie. We just called her Jackie after that. 
But here's the deal. The name they use, it wasn't good enough. Your name, you can't just show up to heaven. You can't get on your knees and say, hey, God, it's me. Because God's like, yeah, no, your name's not enough. It's by the name of Jesus that we have access. He's the co-signer. He's the one that allows you to do it. You don't have enough credit in heaven to talk to God. You need a co-signer in Jesus. Listen, Acts chapter 19 is one of my favorite stories. The Bible says that the apostle Paul was giving unique and, and unique miraculous abilities that he would like use his handkerchief to wipe his brow, leave it on the deck while he was working. People would walk by with illnesses and get saved because of the handkerchief. Like that's just, it was an unbelievable thing. And people started noticing the power that Paul had and the authority that he walked in. And so there was a group of Israelites, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 19, who thought, yo, I want to do that too. It says a group of Jews who was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, right? They, you got to understand that word incantation. They didn't have a relationship with God. They thought it was a magic spell. They thought in Jesus' name was the same as abracadabra. So in their mind, they have no relationship with Jesus. They have no context with Jesus. And it's not like they were doing bad things. They weren't like demonizing people. They were trying to bring demons out. But again, they didn't have a relationship with God. And so they heard this thing in the name of Jesus. And so they go, yo, I like that, that magic word. I like that abracadabra. We're going to use that. And it says they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, how many know it's a scary day when the demon answers you? You know what I'm talking about? Like you're trying to get all bold and be like, hey, I say in Jesus' name. And the demon's like, hey, well, hold up, hold up, hold up. And you're like, oh, you weren't supposed to talk back to me right now. Right? The demon responds. And listen to what he says. He goes, I mean, I just, I, in my mind, I think the demon was like super cold-blooded about it too. Like he just rose up and he's like, hold on, homie. I know Jesus. I know Paul. Who are you? Yo, I ain't gonna lie. I would have pooped myself. I'd have pooped myself in that moment. You know, he probably had that real deep movie demon voice, like, I know Jesus. I know Paul. Who are you? And I'm like, um, Paul's cousin, Paul's, Paul's nephew, like he's my homie's brother. Like, I would have made up something, right? So he says, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. This is what happens when you try to walk in authority that you don't have. He tried to work in the name of Jesus, but he had no relationship with the man named Jesus. And oftentimes we think, well, how come Jesus doesn't answer my prayers? Do you have a relationship with him? Or do you only hit him up when you need something? Do you only call on him when something bad happens? Because listen, you and I don't like that, right? We all have people in our lives that they don't hit us up until they need something. Hey, bro, how you been? Oh, what's going on in your life? Da, da, da. You're like, uh-huh. What do you want? Hey, bro, hey, I just saw you got a car. What's up? Can I get a ride home? Nope. Why? I, don't, I never really liked you. <laughs> and now you only want to be my friend because I got a new car because I'm the one in the neighborhood with the basketball or, or, or whatever. Like, we know when people are trying to use us. And here, a lot of times, we think we can just tap into the presence of God when we don't want anything to do with the presence of God for years. And again, oftentimes in God's grace, he might listen to you, 
But don't wonder why God isn't doing anything when you never want to do anything with God. So here, when he says in Jesus' name, it's not enough. Sometimes we just think, well, I just got to throw up that prayer and and God's going to hook me up. And God's more looking at like, no, no, who are you? Paul was known even in hell. Think about that. Paul had such a tight relationship with God that even demons knew who he was. I'm not saying the demons got to know your name, but at least to heaven. Do you have enough of a relationship to be able to say confidently in Jesus' name? And again, I'm not trying to downplay you. I'm not trying to you know, mess you up with that. I'm just saying the Bible's clear. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. When you have a relationship with God, there's more confidence when you go to him. And I think oftentimes the reasons we don't pray is because in those moments where we want to, we feel like, man, I'm just not near God. So I'm going to ask Pastor Joey to pray. And again, if I can just kind of explain this one step further. You think God's not going to listen to you just because you've messed up for years? No, God will still listen to you. But don't be the kind of person that wants to play that back and forth game with him and wonder why he doesn't show up when you want him to show up, how you want him to show up at the moment you want him to show up. In Jesus' name, well, you better have a relationship with that name. Number two, the reason we say in Jesus' name, not just because our name isn't enough, but our righteousness isn't enough. Righteousness is a fancy word of just saying right with, right? Our righteousness, our right standing with God, it's just not enough. We're not good enough to stand before God. We're not holy enough to stand before God. I don't care if in your head you're like, yeah, but I've never done anything. Well, you've done some things. You've lied. You cheated on a test. You've thought wrong thoughts. Maybe you never cursed your mom out, but you did in your head. You know, I feel you. We've done stuff. You know how like when you're really mad at your parents and you put your face in the pillow and you yell stuff that you hope they didn't hear? Okay, we've all done things. We've all sinned at some point or another. We've all committed it. And here's the deal. We are unrighteous. The Bible says that not one man is righteous, not even one. None of us are good enough to be able to say, hey, God, you should listen to me because look at the kind of life that I've lived. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 through 9 says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. Right? This is Paul talking. He's saying, listen, everything in this world is garbage compared to what I've discovered in Christ. Right? When you compare, that's not to say that everything you have is garbage. It's just in comparison to this amazing relationship that I have in Jesus' name, it's all garbage. And he says, I consider it all garbage so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. And so he says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Here's the deal. You're never going to be good enough. It's just not a reality because we live in a fallen world. You're going to sin. I sin. We all sin. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. And here's the, the, the most important part, though. God doesn't expect you to be good enough. God doesn't expect you to be righteous enough. That's why Jesus came. If Jesus is enough, he doesn't need you to be enough. If Jesus paid the price, he doesn't need you to pay it again. 
And so what he's saying is, hey, stop trying to get right with God and, and live in such a way where you think, well, maybe God will listen to me if I do this really hard or if I try to do this really hard or, you know, I've gone this many days without doing that sin, so maybe now God's going to listen to me. No, no, no. The beauty of it is all you need to do is have a relationship with Jesus. And in faith, even when you're at your worst, even when you've messed up the worst, even when you feel like God hates you, he will still listen to you because of Jesus. Because it's not about what you did or didn't do. It's about your relationship with Jesus. And if you have that relationship with Jesus, if you grow in that relationship with Jesus, if you have faith in the relationship with Jesus, then you can go to God at any point and ask for anything and be confident in that. Why? Because of your faith in Jesus. This is important to understand because it humbles you. It keeps you from thinking like God owes you anything. I remember one time, and I've told this story a billion times, but it's still one of my favorite stories. <laughs> I got really mad at God when I was a junior higher because I thought God failed me in prayer. Because in my Bible, I used to always read that whatever you ask God, he gives it to you. And so I'm like, listen, I really prayed for us to win the championship. I was on a basketball team. We were pretty good. We went undefeated except for one game. And then we lost the championship to that one team. And I was sad. I was mad. Why? Because I prayed really, really hard. And I really, really believed. And I felt like God failed. The next year, we get back to the same championship. I get back to the same prayer. I'm thinking, God, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And we lose again in overtime. That's twice we lost. And at this point, I was an eighth grader. I graduated. And I remember thinking, what's the point of praying if you're not even going to do what you say? You can't even win me a basketball game. You want me to expect you for a miracle? And I was angry because I felt God owed me that because I was a good kid, because I grew up in church, because I didn't do all the bad things everybody else did. And I thought, God, you owe me at least a championship. I'm not asking for money. Like, just let us win. Make them lose. Like, you know, that's all I wanted. My freshman year of high school, my buddy who was still in grammar school, the same school that I went to, hits me up one night, super excited. Why? Because they won the championship. And I remember thinking, really, God? Really? The year I'm not on the team, they win. And I almost felt like God told me, hey, you prayed for that team to win. You didn't pray that you'd be on the team when they did. I don't owe you anything. And God checked my heart so hard. Listen, when you come to the Lord with humility, with understanding, hey, God doesn't owe you a thing. Salvation was more than enough, right? So anything else you get from God is bonus, Anything else God does, even just the fact that he hears you, is bonus. That humility is what God loves to hear when you pray. You can be humble and still be confident. I'm confident that God hears me, but I'm humble in knowing that I don't deserve to be heard by him. This is important in your time of prayer because oftentimes we're disappointed in our prayer life, not because God failed, because we failed to have the right expectation. We felt like he owes us. Because, hey, I made a promise, you know. God, I said if you would do this, I would start going to church every week. Yeah, God doesn't make deals in prayer like that. That's something you do. When you come to the Lord with humility, with grace, with understanding, God, I'm a sinner, and I don't deserve to even have been heard by you. But I'm so grateful that you do. I'm so happy that you hear my heart and that you know my needs. And I humbly ask you, Lord, would you help me with this situation? Now, again, let's take it into any other context. Think about it in your own world. When somebody comes to you acting like you owe them, even if it's true, you don't want to do it because they're coming at you like that. 
But when someone comes to you humbly, respectfully, and says, hey, man, I, I, I'm almost embarrassed to ask you, but would you help me out with this? If you love them, you're like, yeah, of course, bro. You, yeah, no problem. Absolutely. I got you. Why? Because of the approach. When you approach the throne of grace, you can do it confidently and you can do it boldly, but remember to do it humbly. To understand, God, you don't owe me a thing, but I love that you hear my heart anyway. Number three, if you're taking notes. We say in Jesus' name because our name isn't enough. We say in Jesus' name because our righteousness isn't enough. We say in Jesus' name because our Jesus is more than enough. Our Jesus is more than enough. What does that mean? That means he covers our tab. He's the one that covers our sin. He's the one that's allowing us to come in. Right? I mentioned co-signing, but for those of you who may not fully understand what that means, oftentimes when somebody wants to buy a house or a car, they may not have enough credit or they may not have enough money for a bank to be willing to give them a loan. Right? In order for a bank to give you a loan, they got to look at your credit. They got to look at your history. They got to feel like, okay, I can trust that this person is going to be able to pay this loan back. And if you don't have any credit or you have bad credit and you don't have a lot of money, they're not going to give you a loan because in their mind, they're thinking you're just not going to be able to pay this back. So oftentimes what they require, if you do want to get the loan, is they say, okay, we'll give you the loan, but you got to go get a co-signer. And what a co-signer does is a co-signer comes and they sign the loan with that individual and they promise if this person can't pay it, I'll pay it. If this person defaults on that loan, if this person doesn't pay you back, you can come after me. I'm co-signing on this loan. In other words, I am just as um, culpable for this loan as that individual. Here's the reality. All of us can't pay the loan back when it comes to the debt that sin has in our life. So what Jesus did is he came alongside us and he said, not to worry, I'm going to co-sign for you. And I'm going to cover your debt. And I'm going to make sure that it's all on me and not on you. This is why we say in Jesus' name, because it literally is his name. He co-signed it. When you look at the debt receipt, it says Joey Silva, but then on top of it, it goes Jesus Christ. So I don't look to Joey for that. I look to Jesus now. So when the throne of grace is looking to say who's paying that debt, it doesn't come up Joey Silva. It comes up Jesus Christ. My name's not on that anymore because I got a co-signer. I got somebody to cover it. And so that's why we can pray. That's why we can go before God because they're not going to look at me and go, no, 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 you're not going to ask for nothing because you owe us something. They're going to look and say, well, let me see if you owe anything. No, you don't owe nothing because Jesus paid it all. So go ahead and ask for whatever you want because you don't owe us anything. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. So then, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Let me back up a little bit. This high priest understands our weakness. Sometimes it's hard to talk to somebody when you feel like they don't get it. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's hard to open up to somebody when you feel like, well, you just don't understand what I'm going through. You never went through it. You've never been through this struggle. And so we don't even want to ask because we feel like they don't understand. 
And what I love about the Bible, it says, listen, this high priest, Jesus Christ, he understands anything you talk about, anything you're going through. Why? Because he went through all of it himself. Now, some of us may think, well, what does that mean? You know, did Jesus, you know, have his father, you know, walk away from him? Did Jesus uh, struggle with drug addiction? Did Jesus have a pornography issue? That's not what I'm saying. It's not like they had all that stuff like that back then. But here's the reality of it. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he paid all of our sin, which means every sin that's ever been committed before, then, and after was all thrown on the shoulders of Jesus. And on that moment in the cross, for those few hours, he felt the weight of every sin that's ever existed. So yes, he knows exactly how you feel. Yes, he knows exactly what it's like to go through what you've gone through. Because every pain that there's ever been, he felt in that moment. On top of the fact of having nails screwed through his uh, ankles and through his wrist. Jesus gets it. More than you do. More than anybody else does. And so what I love about what he's saying here in Hebrews is, hey, we have somebody who's in our corner who gets us who's willing to intercede on our behalf because they understand what it feels like to go through what I'm going through because he faced all the same testings we do. Yet, in the midst of all those testings, he still didn't sin. And so because of that, this is what Hebrews is saying, because of the high priest we have, because he's in our corner, because he gets it, because he feels it, we can boldly come to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. It's this picture of a, of a throne. Imagine a king and he's got this magical or, or majestic throne. Those are intimidating. You'd be nervous to walk up to that throne and stand before a mighty king. You'd be worried about what he thinks. But when you realize that there's somebody in your corner on your behalf who's looking out for you, who takes care of you, it's a lot easier to ask because you have the confidence of who you're asking in. Just this past week, I was trying to help a buddy of mine who's looking to secure a conference in Chicago next year. And he's looking for a place that can host <clears throat> like 150 professors and, and doctors and stuff like that. Feed them, activities, all this other stuff. And he's like, hey, Joey, can you help me out? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know anybody that works in that world. So what do I do? I get onto my Lane Tech Alumni Association Facebook page and I go, fellow alumni, anybody help me out? And within a day, I had like four or five people that hit me up. One of them was a friend of mine from high school. She goes, hey, my buddy's the GM at the Hilton over by the Midway. I'll let you know. I'll introduce you guys. Give him a call. So she makes the introduction. Him and I get on the phone call. Yo, we became friends. Like, we're going to go get lunch next week, whether we can work it out or not. I was like, dude, you're super cool. I like you. He's like, oh, bro, I like you. You're awesome. I was like, man, we just become best friends. Yup. And the cool thing was, I'm like, man, I'm so grateful that you're willing to help me out. And like, he was often like 30% discounts and this and that. I'm like, man, I'm so grateful that you're willing to help me out. And he said this, hey, listen, you're Christina's friend. Anyone who's Christina's friend is family to me. I got you. It was the association I had that enabled me to have the relationship in this avenue. When God looks at you, he sees your relationship with Christ and goes, I got you. Absolutely. Whatever you ask for in Jesus' name, you'll receive. Okay? It's the, it's the importance of knowing it's not my name that they're looking at. It's Jesus' name. He didn't talk to me because I randomly hit him up. I didn't know him. It was the name that associated with that I had a relationship with that he said, based on your relationship with her, I can trust you. That's a really, really powerful sentiment. 
And it's one that I think most of us don't value enough because here's what would happen. If you really valued it, guess what would happen? You'd have a deeper prayer life. If you really valued it, you wouldn't be so scared to talk to God sometimes. You wouldn't be so worried about whether or not God's listening to you. There'd be greater boldness in your prayer. There'd be greater faith in what you ask. The Bible's clear. Some of you don't have because you just don't ask. You don't even try. You just assume God's not going to do it. Or you just assume God doesn't want to hear from me. I mean, you do that with your parents. We got camp coming up soon, and, you know, camp's a little expensive. It's not breaking the bank when you consider how much just a regular hotel would cost. But it's a little bit of money. And some of you, man, you would benefit so greatly from being at that camp. A week of just God really pouring into you. I mean, it'll change your life. And you know that. But there's a party that goes, I just, I, don't, I know my mom's going to say no. I know my dad's going to say no. No, that's not true. You think they're going to say no. And because you think they're going to say no, you don't even ask. But what's it going to hurt you? The worst they can do is say no. And so in the same way, oftentimes we have a prayer request, we have a need, we have something going on. And we think about talking to God, but we feel like, man, God's not going to listen to me because I've messed up or because I'm not living right or because, you know, I'm not where I need to be and all these other excuses we come up with. God's not going to listen to me. No, you think God's not going to listen to you. But my Bible is clear. It's not you that he's listening to you. It's the fact that you are associated with the name of Jesus. And because of that, the throne of grace is open to you and you have access to ask for that. Usually what happens is we don't ask God until it gets really crazy, until it's a real serious situation where we feel like I got nothing else. I need to lean on God. But trust me, if you learn to talk to God with the little things, the big things become easy to go to him with because you've been consistent with the little things. Pastor Jason, if you can help me out. I want to close with one more thing. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Boldly, confidently. Boldness means, man, that's really amazing and surprising that you would ask that. Right? Boldness is somebody coming up to you going, man, I like your shoes. Can I have them? That's a bold statement. (laughs) You got a lot of guts to ask me for my shoes. That's boldness. Confidence is when someone comes up to you and they're sure that you're going to give them those shoes. So when somebody comes up to you with boldness and confidence, there's a part of it's almost like, man, maybe I should give them my shoes. <laughs> right? It's just amazing to see that. Now, most of us, we lack one or the other or both. When it comes to our prayer life, we're either not bold enough. And what does that mean? That means we don't pray for what we really need and what we really want. We bring it down to what we think God is going to do. So some of you, like when it comes to your speed, the light stuff, there's not enough boldness in your prayer. So when you ask God, God, what am I to do? You ask with a little bit of boldness. You pray something that maybe you can do on your own. So that if God doesn't show up, man, you don't look dumb. But boldness is saying, God, this is what I believe you're asking me to do. And I'm going to ask you then to help me do that. Confidence is trusting that God will do what he says he's going to do. And that you don't hesitate in what you ask for. Because you're confident, not in yourself, but in who God is. This is a crazy statement that he's saying, but he's saying it for a reason. 
It's because of Christ and our faith in him. Not because of how good you've been or, or not been. Not because you've come to excel or not. Because of our faith in Christ and who he is, we can boldly come and have confidence to go before God's presence. I called my dad, actually, as I was writing this message. And I said, Papi, tell me that story about the first time you came to the United States from Puerto Rico. Because it's a story that's always stuck with me, but I wanted to make sure I got it right. My father, he was pretty young at the time. I think he was 18. The first time he was going to move from Puerto Rico on his own to the States. And he goes down to town and he's getting, he goes to the bank so that he can get money out, about $300 that he needed to buy the plane ticket and some clothes in order to take it and start his life new in the States. And when he goes to the bank, he knew he had a bank account that his father had set up for him when he was 13. The problem is he didn't realize until he got to the bank that because the father's the one who set up the bank account when he was a kid, he couldn't personally take out the money. He needed his father's signature. And so now he's stuck because he has to buy this flight today or he's going to miss it. He has to get his clothes. He doesn't have time to go back to where his house is and get his dad and get the whole situation. So he's kind of worried. Not too far from the bank, though, was a store that his father's cousin owned. And he thought to himself, maybe, maybe I'll ask him for the loan. And I'll just ask him for the money, and tomorrow me and my dad will come back down to the town, and we'll pay back the money. And so he shows up to the store, and as he walks in, it just so happens that this woman is begging the store owner for $10. Like, just cry, like, please, I'll pay you back, please. And he's like, get out of here, chew. And he rid her off. Ten bucks. You know how scared my dad was? Like, I'm about to ask him for $300. And he just yelled at this lady because she asked for 10. But my dad was desperate. And he needed this to do what he was going to do. So he goes up to the store owner. And he says, hey, primo, like, I, I hate to ask. I know, you know, this is bold to me, but he explained the whole situation. He needed the $300, da-da-da. And my dad said the man never said a word. He turned around, went to the safe, opened the safe, took the $300 out, handed it to my dad. Didn't say anything. My dad, uh, there was another guy that they knew in the family, called the guy over. He said, hey, you're my witness. If something happens to me, tell my dad to pay him back. Okay. The next day, and my dad that day finishes all he had to do, got his plane ticket, got his clothes, got everything he needed. The next day, my dad and my grandfather come down the mountain where my grandpa lived to the cousin's store, and he paid him back the $300. And my grandfather, very humbled, very appreciative, said, it means so much to me that you would trust my son and that you would value him enough to take care of him when he needed it. And my dad, as he's telling me the story, he starts crying. He goes, it's not that he trusted me. He trusted my dad. He goes, your grandfather never saw a jail cell in his entire life. Your grandfather was an honorable man who loved his family and took care of everybody. And so whenever anybody had an opportunity to take care of his, there was no problem with it. A story stuck with me because I want to represent not just my family, but the Lord in that same kind of way. Here's what I'm trying to communicate to you. You can boldly go before the throne of grace, even if you feel like you're going to get yelled at, even if you feel like you're going to get screamed at, and know that God will take care of you, not because you're good enough or you earn it, because we don't, but because of the name of the Father that's attached to you in Jesus. 
that because of that name, God hears your prayer and answers it in Jesus' name. So I'm going to ask you to stand up as we get ready to close. And again, just kind of like last week, I want you to bow your head for a moment, close your eyes. And I'm wondering tonight, if you have a prayer need, something that's just outside of your control, something that's outside of your hands, it might be a personal need that you have. It might be a need that your mom has, your father has, a relative, a best friend. Maybe you know somebody who's struggling with depression and they have suicidal thoughts and they've really been in a bad place lately and you need God to intervene. Maybe you've been that person. Maybe there's a family member who's sick and you need God to perform a miracle. Maybe there's a marriage, maybe even your parents who's struggling and you need God to show up to bring it back together. Maybe there's a friend that you've been praying for over and over again so that they can know Jesus. And you need God to do a miracle because you've tried so many times and they've always said no to you. Here's the reality of it. I don't think there's ever a believer who doesn't have a prayer need. Because if you're a Christian, you understand how desperately you need the Lord for so many things. So in a moment, I'm going to talk to all the Christians and we're going to take some time to go before the throne of grace and ask God to do what we can't do for ourselves. But before I do that, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just listen to my voice. You can only say in Jesus' name when you have a relationship with Jesus. And so I would be remiss and I would be wrong if I didn't offer you tonight an opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying you haven't gone to church. I'm not saying you don't know things. I'm just saying this. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never said, God, I understand that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior, and I want to invite you into my life to be my God, then you're missing the most important step. You can't say in Jesus' name when you don't know the name of Jesus. So with every head bow, every eye closed, if there's anyone in this room who would say, Pastor, I've never made that decision. But even as you were talking, there was something that was tugging at my heart saying, I need to get right with you. Or maybe you're somebody who at one point in your life, you did make that decision, but the reality is you're not living like that. Your heart has been very distant from God. And you're scared to go before the throne of grace because you're unsure about your relationship with God. Well, tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to be sure. And it doesn't require you to do a bunch of things. It just requires you to do what the Bible says, that in faith, you believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and you accept him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, then you are saved. And with that comes the ability to say in Jesus' name. So with every head bow, every eye closed, if there's someone in this room who would say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be confident in where I stand with Jesus. I want to know that I know that I have a relationship with God. It doesn't mean you need to be perfect or that you're going to be perfect today. It just means you're willing to start a journey and you can now ask God to help you with the rest of it. So if there's anybody here who wants to be included in that prayer, just right where you are, no one else is looking around, would you lift up your hand and I will pray for you and we will ask God together to give you that gift of salvation. 
that's anyone, lift up your hand. I want to pray with you. Thank you then. Let me pray for this young man. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so grateful for my friend, Lord. I'm so grateful for all the times that he's come, that he's felt safe here, that he's felt community here, that he's felt love here. Lord, I love that about it. But Lord, we know that the very reason you've brought him here is so that he can have that relationship with you, that he can be able to call you Lord of his life and that he would be able to understand that he is loved beyond measure and that he is forgiven of all of his sins, that you don't hold any of that against him any longer. So, Father, I just pray in Jesus' name right now that you would forgive him of all his unrighteousness, any sin he's ever been committed. Lord, that it will be washed in the blood of Jesus and never remembered. That this moment would be the beginning of a new day and a new life that walks in confidence with you. And we can say all that, not because I'm a pastor and not because we're in church, but because we say it in Jesus' name. So in Jesus' name, we believe it, we confess it, and we accept it. And everybody said... Amen. Gio Judd, would you do me a favor? Just explain kind of that process with him for a few minutes. And while they do that, I just want to talk to everybody else. Because I'm going to assume the rest of you, you have a relationship with God. What's your need? What do you need to talk to God about tonight? And don't give me the, I got nothing, because then you're just not trying. Everybody has something. I don't care how small it is. God, I want you to help me not you know, fail the rest of the semester. Awesome. Some of you need a miracle. Okay. God, I want you to help me because I'm having a lot of anxiety. I'm struggling with my depression. I'm struggling with my thoughts. God, I want you to help me because, you know, I'm getting triggered with some memories of my dad not being here. Whatever it is, man, I can come up with it for days, but you don't need me to specifically say your thing. You know it. So when you have it, that thing that you need to ask God, I'm going to ask you to be bold and confident. And meet me at this altar. We'll pretend this is the throne of grace. And say, listen, I'm not embarrassed to come before you and talk to you, God. I'm not embarrassed of what everybody else is looking around. I need you. Because I need you, I'm willing to go to you. So if you're a believer, from the leaders down to the students, if you have a prayer request, if you have a prayer need, I want you to join me up here. We're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to ask God to help us with that. Just find a spot right at this altar all across. I don't care what your need is. It's between you and God. But if you have a need, come, we're going to talk tonight. We're going to take the next few minutes and we're going to pray. We're going to believe God for miracles. We're going to believe God to do what only God can do. Now, come on, don't just stand up here. Begin to pray. Come on, begin to talk to God. What do you need? What's your reading? What's your need? Bring your prayer request before the Lord. Be bold. Be confident. Pray with the understanding that God listens to you. God hears you. God wants you to talk to him. And God wants to answer your prayer. <laughs> Come on, we can be bold in this. Leaders, show them how to pray. Heavenly Father, we stand here before your throne of grace. And Lord, I know for some of us it took a lot of guts. It took a lot of getting over things to be able to stand before you, to be able to talk to you, to be able to ask you for things. But God, I'm so grateful that you hear us, that you care enough to listen to us, God. And Lord, I know that not all the answers to our prayers are going to be exactly what we want them to be or what we think they should be. But Lord, the mere fact that you hear us is so important right now, God. 
Because sometimes, Lord, we just need to be heard. Sometimes we just need to know that someone listens, that someone cares. And so often, Lord, we're looking for people to fill that void when you are there all along. So, Father, I pray that your presence would be tangible right now, Lord. I pray that in your presence they would know that I care for you. I love you. I want you to talk to me. I want you to know my voice. I want you to understand that I am for you and not against you. So, Lord, I just pray. Give them greater boldness. Give them greater confidence. Hear the hearts of their prayer, Lord. Answer their prayer so that it will increase their boldness and it will increase their confidence. That they can testify about your goodness. That they can say, my God listens to me. Not because I deserve it. Not because I'm good enough. But because he loves me. So, Lord, I just pray for every need in this room, God. Lord, I know you hear it, but I also pray, God, that you would answer it. Hear the hearts of your people, Lord. Help us to intercede. Help us to go to you. Lord, even if the answer is not immediate, help us to continue to pray until we receive an answer. To not just give up because we prayed for five minutes at the end of Excel, but to go back into our homes and go back into our prayer closets and learn to intercede, learn to continue to talk to you, learn to continue to pray because we pray in a very powerful name. So Father, we're thankful, we're grateful, we're humbled, but we're also bold and confident that you would do all things Because it's not our will, but your will that's going to be done. So, Lord, we bring this all to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Come on, everybody said? Come on, would you give God a big hand clap of praise? Amen. Hey, now listen to me. If God doesn't answer your prayer immediately and tonight, don't give up. Don't think, well, I I gave it a few minutes and it didn't happen, so prayer doesn't work. No, no. We got this saying on Wednesday night here, push. Pray until something happens. You keep pushing. You keep persevering. You keep trusting in the Lord. I'm not saying you got to beg him. I'm just saying this is part of the process of learning to talk to God and learning to do this on a regular basis. Are you feeling me? You guys get what I'm saying? And listen, if there's anything that you want any of the leaders to pray about or or me to pray about, you can pull us aside after service. We're more than happy to help you. We're more than happy to be there with you. We're going to pray with you, not just for you. And we're going to trust that God is going to hear us. Why? Because we do it in Jesus' name. Amen? Love you guys. God bless you. We will see you next Thursday here at Excel.